I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching you on the end of time. And there's several things that has to do with the end of time. The, well, let me get me a better, let me get a better writer. The end of time. The end of time is a story. It's about one family. I've said this before uh, many times. When I was a little kid in the 40s, there's all these soap operas. And the reason they called them soap operas is because they were all sponsored on the radio by some soap. Either Oxidol works miracles for you or Tide. Tide was brand new in the, about 1950. And uh, they would, Oxidol was one of the real famous soaps. And they sponsored several of those soap operas. And, uh, and I, they used to have one on it called One Man's Family. And they would come on there talking. There'd be an organ playing in the background. And that's all they had. Didn't have orchestras. Well, the Bible is about one man's family. It's about Adam's family. Not the Adam's family. Adam. Adam was the first man. This whole thing about the Bible is one picture, one story. Adam had a son. His name was Seth. Now this, you're going to find this. You say, what about Cain and Abel? Well, Abel was killed by Cain. And in Genesis 3.25, the Bible says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bare Seth in the place of Abel, whom Cain slew. So this is Genesis 5. This is Adam's righteous lineage and Seth took the place of Abel so it was the custom of the Jews when one man would die the other one in the family the next one in line would take the wife of the deceased man and the first child first male child come out would be the one that took the place of the one who died so Seth means substitute Seth was the substitute for Abel. That's what he was. So this is actually Abel's lineage in Genesis 5. Seth had a son whose name was Enosh. Enosh. And Enosh had a son whose name was Canaan. And Canaan had a son whose name was uh, Mahalalel. M-A-H-A-L-L-E-L-L. Mahalalel had a son whose name was Jared. And Jared had a son whose name was Enoch. And Enoch had a son whose name was Methuselah, the longest living man in the Bible. And Methuselah had a son whose name was Lamech. Lamech had a son whose name was Noah. And Noah had three sons. He had he had Japheth, the eldest, and he had Ham, the youngest, 
and he had Shem. And the reason I put Shem in this line, because Shem carried on the lineage of the promised lineage here. You had a lot of second-born sons, and this goes with 11 and 2 in the Bible, 11 and 2. Shem was the 11th from Adam, and he was second-born, and God blessed Shem. And out of Shem came a lineage that takes you all the way down. Shem had a son named Arphaxed. Arphaxed had a son named Eber. Eber had a son named Peleg. Peleg had a son named Reu. Reu had a son uh, named Hamor. Hamor had a son named Terah. And Terah had a son named Abram. And his name was later told, changed to Abraham in the 17th chapter. Abraham. Because Abram means proud father. Proud father. And Abraham comes from Ab. Ab. And Abraham means father of many nations. Father of nations. And then Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac. Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. And he had 12 sons. And these 12 sons became the nation of Israel. Nation. And each one of them had a tribe. And it started It started with Reuben. And probably the, some of the most important sons, Simeon. And then the Levi. And out of Levi would come the priesthood. Priesthood. And then Levi, after that, Judah. And out of Judah would come the king. Come the king. And then he would have Dan, Naphtali, Naphtali, Dan and Naphtali. Uh, And then he'd have uh, Dan and Naphtali. He had uh, his 11th son, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. His 11th son would be Joseph. Now, the ones that were really important, I put Gad and Asher in here, and then Zebulon and Issachar. Now, that's all the sons of Jacob. Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And the reason Joseph was so important because his second-born son, Ephraim, received all the inheritance of Israel. It actually was given to Joseph. That was Jacob's favorite son. And he was more the picture of Christ than anybody else. This is a story. It's a story about how God would come to Abraham and he gave him this land. It's about the land of Israel. And then he gave it to Isaac and then to Jacob or Israel. Now this is all about, and he tells Abraham, I'll give you this land. You have to be obedient to me. If you're disobedient to me, 
what I will do, I will take the land from you and cause I will cause your enemy to come in and slaughter you. Well, we know that Joseph, Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, was a picture of Christ. And Abraham, uh, excuse me, Jacob gave the inheritance to Joseph. Gave it to Joseph. And you can see that through his second-born son Ephraim, Ephraim, uh, Joseph also had a firstborn son. Here's another picture of the secondborn getting the blessing like Shem. Just like the secondborn got the blessing, Abel over Cain. And it was, and Adam knew his wife Eve and she bare uh, a son called his name Seth. He's the substitute for Abel. That's just like Jesus was the only begotten of God but he was the second born in the flesh because when the Lord told Moses, you go to Pharaoh, let my son go. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So Christ in the flesh, Jesus would be the second born, not to take from God's deity, but he's the picture of the second birth in us. You must be born again. So, all of this goes together. So, Joseph had a son named Manasseh, not to be confused with the wicked king Manasseh. This was a pretty decent guy. And so Ephraim gets the inheritance of all Israel, and you can find that in Genesis, the 48th chapter. That's where, that's where Jacob comes to Egypt after Joseph has been over there and he called for his, all of his family to come over. You know the story, how that Joseph ended up being second in charge in Egypt because he told the dream of the Pharaoh how that there are going to be seven good years and then seven bad years, seven years of famine. And then Pharaoh says, who else can I put in charge but this man who, who will tell me all that's going to happen in Egypt? So it puts only... When it comes to Pharaoh's family, can Joseph not say what's going on? He has charge of all of Egypt. So, and his brothers come over to get grain, but they sold him into Egypt. And then when they all get back over here, and they get back over to, they all come to Egypt at the end of Genesis. Then when you get into Exodus, and all of Israel is over here in Egypt for 400 years and they've more or less forgotten God. And that's when Moses Moses comes along. He's born in Exodus, the second chapter. And the Lord tells Moses in four, in fifth chapter, he appears to Moses and he tells him in that fourth chapter, you go tell Pharaoh, let my son go. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So, then God says, tell Pharaoh, if he won't let him go, that I'm going to bring this plague and then this plague. He's going to bring flies and he's going to bring moraine, which was disease for the cattle, and he's going to bring darkness. He's going to bring all of these plagues upon Egypt. And he does that 
up to ten plagues. And the tenth plague is death of the firstborn. Death of firstborn. Death of the firstborn. That is also called Passover. God says, put the blood on the doorpost of your house. And if you put the blood on the doorpost, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God has now sprinkled our hearts instead of on the door of the house. Well, God tells Pharaoh after each one of these plagues, he tells Moses, I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. God did not love Pharaoh. God stuck Pharaoh down. They left Egypt in Exodus, the 12th chapter, Exodus 12. They leave Egypt and they're being delivered after 400 years in Egypt. And then they head for the wilderness. And they got 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years. And then at the end of the 40 years, that's you're going to find the journey of the 40 years described in the book of Numbers. That's why Numbers is a really a good book to study. It's going to tell you everything that happened in the wilderness, all the enemies they came across, Israel murmuring against God, and then they'll come into the land. When they come into the land, that's the book of Joshua. And God tells them to go in and kill off all of these heathen tribes. See, God gave this land to Abraham back here in Genesis 17. So it's been, that was back around 2100 B.C. When they leave Egypt, it's about, it's approximately... 1450 B.C. So it's we're talking about these people that came into the land and tried to take it over, this land that was given to Abraham. This is kind of amazing. They've been gone 400 years. And having been gone 400 years, all these Hittites, Perizzites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites. It's a whole slew of these, I call them ites. whole slew of them moved in and possessed the land. This is amazing. It's amazing to me because in 1517, the Ottoman Turks took over this same land. Ottoman Turks. I'll just throw this in for good measure. And then in 1917, 400 years later, just like the pagans occupied this land, all these Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites, they occupied this land that belonged to Abraham. 1517, the Ottoman Turks took over the land, and then 1917, just like over here, you talk about arrangement, just like in Exodus 12, Israel was liberated by the British Commonwealth. 
at the end of World War II. Same amount of time, 400 years, and 400 years over here. 400 and 400. Here's this thing about the end of time. It's what God told Moses as they're leaving Egypt. He said, you tell Israel if they go after other gods, I will send four judgments and all the time they are nation. They go in and conquer the land in Joshua and then in Judges, in Judges, that's where they start ruling themselves. They go in and conquer Jericho under Joshua, Jericho, and Ai, and a lot of the other cities there. And Joshua's job, Joshua has a job, and I'll use this over here to show it to you. On this map over here on the other side, Joshua's job was to go in and conquer the cities, he conquered Gilgal. That's the first city they came to was Gilgal. G-I-L-G-A-L. And the, this thing of the end of time is all about this story. So, let me erase this. This comes later on. Alright. So they go in and they conquer these cities. And God tells them to throw all these ites, all these pagans out. Run them off. Kill them or throw them out. This land belongs to Abraham that I gave it to. Of course, what does Israel do? They don't drive them away. They marry them. If you marry them, he says in Deuteronomy 7, he said, if you marry their daughters... They'll stay at home with the children and teach their children sun and tree worship, bail and grove worship. And that's exactly what happens. So from Judges, Joshua is the one that leads them in to possess the land in the book of Judges. And they go under the rule of all these judges. As soon as a judge would rise up, he would conquer the enemies of Israel. The first judge, I believe, was Samuel. And that... Well, not the first judge, excuse me. Samuel comes at the end of the judges. Samuel. When you get to the end of the judges, you're going into into first and second Samuel. And the judges, there's a list of judges. I've, I've made a list of them. It starts with Othniel. That's the nephew of Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were the only two that were allowed to go into Israel. To go into Israel. It wasn't called Israel then. It was called Canaan. It wasn't called Israel till later on. So... Joshua was the first judge, I believe. He's not listed as such. Othniel is. And then you had, then you had uh, Ehud. 
Ehud was a left-handed man. God's, the Bible specifically states that because the Israel thought all left-handed people were evil. He said, I'll give you a left-handed man to deliver you, and he'll be a righteous judge. And that's what he did. Then you'll have Shamgar, and you'll have Deborah. They didn't want a woman leading them. Deborah, are you kidding? Then you had Jephthah. Jephthah was a good man, but he was the son of a harlot. So they threw him out of town. They run him off. Then they got in trouble where the Philistines were attacking them. And so somebody said, go get Jephthah. He's a great leader and a great... He can put together an army and deliver us. And that's what they did. It's just crazy. Israel was nuts. They kept every time they would fall away, when their judge would die, the Bible said they go back to Baal and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was the same thing as the grove. Ashtaroth was the same thing. It was the same thing as grove. Ashtaroth was a generic term for all the female tree deities. So, then you'd have Deborah and Jephthah, and you'd have Samson, and then you'd have Samuel at the end of that, and then you'd go into 1 Samuel. Now, here's the whole point. God kept warning them. This has to do with the end of time. He kept warning them. If you go after these gods, which that's all they did, in First and Second Samuel... I like to let Israel off in First and Second Samuel. They didn't go after the other gods. If you go to the seventh chapter of First Samuel, they gave up Bell in the Grove. Well, good for you. But Saul was the first king. Actually, God was the first king. And the people went to Samuel and they said, Give us a man king. And he said, God is your king. You want a man king and all he's got bows and arrows and he's got those things that throw big balls of fire and God has got lightning bolts and earthquakes and he can defend you with that? And you want a man that's got bows and arrows and spears? You must be nuts. And that's what Samuel's telling them. You can find that in the 8th chapter of 1 Samuel. So when you get through 1 Samuel in that 16th chapter of First Samuel, that's where God appoints David king because Saul, in 11 through 15, Saul is just arrogant and won't do what God says. He loses his temper all the time. He's the tallest man in Israel, but he's the one that God appointed king. And you can see that in the ninth chapter. And you want to hate Saul after he gets through doing all the things that he does. But you go back to the beginning of Saul being appointed king, and God said of Saul, there was not a goodlier man in all Israel. He was the tallest man in town. He was the tallest man in Israel. And it's not what size you are, it's what your heart is doing. That's why when David went down to southern Judah in the 16th chapter, not David, Samuel, went down to southern Judah in the 16th chapter, and he told, he told uh, Jesse at Bethlehem, Judah, God has chosen as a king among your sons. So the first thing that 
Jesse does. He trots out his oldest son, and he's very tall, and he's a great warrior in Saul's army. And God said, I have not chosen this. God called Eliab this. And he makes seven of his sons go before him. He said, don't you have any more children? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but he keeps the sheep. He said, I'm not leaving till you bring him in. David walks in. He said, that's him, the youngest of Jesse's son. Just a little runt. He didn't look like the movies portray him as Gregory Peck. He didn't know what he looked like. So, when you get through Second Samuel, and I don't have time to go through all that. I'm trying to tell you about the end of time. You get through Second Samuel... And Saul dies in the 30th chapter. Saul dies. And then David is the king on the throne. At the end of, end of Saul's life, you get into 1 Kings. This is where Israel gets into trouble with God. And they ain't nothing but fighting over that throne. They want, all of David's kids wants the throne. So the guy that starts it all, let me erase a lot of this. You can remember all that. This is nothing but a story. It's a story about this one family. Let me erase some of this. Let me get down here to First Kings. When you're looking at prophecy, you're looking at what Israel has done all the time that they were a kingdom. They were involved in the judges in Baal and the Grove. Every time one of the righteous judges would die, they would go right back to Baal and the Grove or Baal and Ashtaroth. It will say Balaam. Anytime you find I am on the end of a word or I Y M, that's plural. And the Bible says they had a God on every street in Israel. Well, Balaam, that's just like E L O H I Y M. That's plural. That's the word God in the Hebrew. I don't know what these people that believe in oneness. They believe that God is not a trinity. What they're going to do with that? Well, anyway, they'll say Balaam. Israel kept going after Balaam. That's because they had many Baal gods. They had them on every street of Israel. How could they do that? You know, God planned it all. He planned for Israel to fall. When you read Romans 11... 11. Romans 11, 11 says, Did Israel stumble merely to fall? says, God forbid. They stumbled so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. Gentile is everyone that is not a Jew. That's a Gentile. That, that is the word ethnos. In the Hebrew, I mean the Greek, it is the Gentile. And Gentile 
is the same word. It's the word goy. Or goyim. There's I am again. It means more than one, plural. And that's the word Gentile. And it's the word nation. In the Hebrew. And nation. In the Greek. Same thing. Nation, nation. Well, that makes me think of something else I don't need to go into. All right. So Romans 11 and 11 says, While Israel was a nation from first kings, this follows up the previous timeline. From first kings all the way through second kings. And then you have the chronicles, first and second chronicles. When you're reading First and Second Kings, you got to read First and Second Chronicles. What does this mean? Well, the writers tell us that the books of the kings is looked at from the viewpoint of the king, and the chronicles is looked at from the viewpoint of the priests. And remember priest and king were the two anointed ones in Israel and the king had to come out of the tribe of Judah the fourth the fourth son of Jacob and the priest had to come out of Levi the third son of Jacob that's a fact now what I'm trying to do is get back to what this is all about through first kings first kings this is the history of Israel as a nation from judges first and second Samuel first and second kings first and second chronicles this is the history of Israel history of Israel It's the history of Israel and what they did during this time period is what caused them to go into captivity. What they did, they did everything that God told them not to do. They went after other gods. And the amazing thing to me, these gods that they went after and the reason God scattered them all over the face of the earth and the reason they came back at the end of time is one story. End of time. The reason that it all happened was because of what they did. And what they did, they went after Baal. Baal was the sun god or the god of fire. And the sun god is represented by fire on the earth. And the grove goddess, and she was represented by the moon. Notice one is the sun, the ruler of the day. The moon's the ruler of the night. And the moon was represented by the tree. And the wood gives flame to the fire. Right? Pretty simple stuff. And they kept going after not only Baal and the grove that they got during that 16th chapter of first, of first Kings 
And they got in the four, in the eleventh chapter of First Kings. That's when Solomon allowed his three hundred wives, a seven hundred wives, and three hundred concubines, seven hundred wives, and three hundred concubines. Concubines. I'll just put C. If a concubine was a secondary wife and they could have babies by them too. Solomon was having all kinds of sexual gratification with all of his wives, having all kinds of children. And in Ecclesiastes, he said, I had all these women and they were vanity and vexation of spirit. I could never fulfill myself with that. And he just said, there's no fulfilling the flesh. You have to live spiritually. So, they kept going after these, so God tells Solomon, I'm going to split the kingdom. And he does that. He splits it in two because of this very thing. Solomon. When you look at this old map I've got over here, I've shown you this so many times. He splits the kingdom under Solomon. That's why the top of the map says United Kingdom. And then after Solomon, it split into two kingdoms because of Solomon's wickedness. And God tells Solomon, I'm not going to split the nation in your day. I'm going to do it in your son's day. And his son was Rehoboam. So this, here's what happened. God gives the ruling, He gives the inheritance to Ephraim. This is long after Ephraim is dead. But this is called Ephraim, the northern kingdom. This is the southern kingdom. And that is ruled by descendants of Solomon, which has to be one son after the other. That comes out of the tribe of Judah. And all of these are of the tribe of Judah, except one of them, Athaliah. She's a witch. She's the child, the daughter out of hell itself. And how did she get into southern Judah? Well, Jehoshaphat is running around with Ahab. Jehoshaphat's a wonderful, godly man. And God is telling, don't run around with these. Ahab is as wicked as you get. He marries Jezebel in that 16th chapter of First Kings, and she, her father is the priest of Baal in northern, just north of Israel. Just north of Israel is what we call Lebanon. Lebanon. That's also called Tyre and Sidon. Tired Sidon. And at Tyre, Ethbel was the father of Jezebel, and they worshiped Baal in the grove up there. Ethbel means with Baal. And she is Jezebel, means confusion. It's another word from Baal. So he marries her in the 16th chapter. And God splits the kingdom just for that. But he said, I'm going to do it under your son. So when you get into the 17th chapter, 
He's got the nation split into two nations. Two nations. This has to do, I talked about the 38th chapter of of Ezekiel last just Wednesday. The thing is, in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, that's the Valley of Dry Bones. And it's talking about Israel having been dead spiritually for a long time. The dry bones is Israel. The head bone connected to the neck bone, the neck bone connected to the shoulder bone, the shoulder bone connected to the backbone, and so forth, all the way down to the feet. And it's talking about Israel is dead, and the bones are very dry. Here's the point I'm getting at. I'm getting at the split of these two nations. At the end of time, the 37th chapter of Ezekiel says, Take one stick for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, the second born of Joseph, and stake one stick for Judah. That was what they were split into. At the end of time, they'll be brought together as one nation again, and that's what they are now. One nation. We have to be getting close to the end of all things. So they're one nation now. And so each... Ahab brings Bel and the Grove into northern Israel. And God gets fed up because all of these guys are evil other than Jehu is fairly righteous but not completely righteous. And all these guys in Judah are evil kings other than three. David, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Those are the only three righteous kings. Totally righteous kings in all of southern Judah. They only had one that looked like he was pretty righteous, Jehu. And you had Uzziah here. He was about halfway righteous. Jehoshaphat was okay righteous but he got to run around with the wrong man and and the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel somehow they were running around with Jehoshaphat and one night at some party Jehoram sees sees, sees Athaliah she really belongs up here she don't belong down here so Athaliah and Jehoram the son of Jehoshaphat, because Jehoshaphat's running around with the wrong person, Ahab, they see each other, and Jehoram says, she's hot, I want her. So he marries her, brings her down to the southern Judah, and she brings her gods with her, and southern Judah becomes polluted like northern Israel. Now Israel is corrupt to the core. What a wicked woman. She was hell on Roller skates is what she was. If there's anybody I think ought to go to hell, it was Athaliah. And I'm sure she did because she got exposed. So, they keep going after these gods. God says, I've had my fill. 
Now, the end of time is about what they did in First and Second Kings and in Judges. They weren't going after Bell and the Grove in First and Second Samuel. That was just a fight between David and Saul for the throne. Except God was on David's side. He wasn't on Saul's side. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> so the end of time has to do... Let me erase this. And, and I'll resume. I'll resume where we are. Where God's scattering Israel. Let me just erase it. I can't do it all at once. All right. I have loved Old Testament. It is about the end of time. So, God keeps telling northern Israel, I'm going to scatter you. And He says this through the prophets. He said it in Deuteronomy. He said it in Leviticus. I'll scatter you if you go after other gods. And you'll notice He's always saying, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. And you're worshiping the golden calf. They brought that out of Egypt. So he said, I'm fed up with it. So you got first and second kings. And God is telling them, I'm going to scatter you. You got first and second chronicles. They go after Baal in the grove in First Kings, in First Kings, the eleventh chapter. Solomon, how could he do that? He he was loved by God. The Bible teaches how Solomon was a righteous man. The Bible says these wicked women seduced his heart away, and you'll find that in Nehemiah, the thirteenth chapter. We'll talk about Solomon. That'll come when they're build, rebuilding the city and they're given the decree to rebuild uh, the city in uh, in the 13th chapter. Then, here's the thing. All the time they're a nation, God tells northern Israel, I'm going to scatter you for all of this Baal and Grove you brought to Israel. I can't name all the gods that they brought in. You can read Ezra, the ninth chapter, and it'll tell you they went after all the gods of the Hittites, the Perizzites. They went after the gods of Assyria. They went after the gods of Egypt. Israel, God's people were doing that. How? So the end of time is going to come. God scatters northern Israel in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. By the Assyrian kings. Three particular team kings come in. Tiglath Pileser, that's a terrible name. Don't ever name your kid that. Tiglath Pileser, they'll call him Tiggy in school. Tiggy. <laughs> He'll get laughed at. Tiglath Pileser, Shalmaneser, and several other of these Assyrian kings. Then Assyria will be overthrown by Babylon. And when Assyria is overthrown around 605, 605 B.C., well, I'm writing too many zeros in there. Around 605, Assyria is overthrown by Babylon, which is southern Assyria, actually. And then in 586 B.C., 
southern Judah is carried away by Babylon. And they're going to be in this captivity. This is about the end of time until May 14th, 1948. The end of time is about God bringing Israel back for he, he's actually scattering them because of what they did in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You can see Israel scattered in Second Kings, the seventeenth chapter. That's where northern Israel is scattered. You can see southern Judah scattered in Second Chronicles, the thirty-sixth chapter. You can also see Judah scattered in the twenty-fifth chapter of Second Kings. These are more or less sister books. It's the same thing when I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those are synoptic Gospels. If you look at one chapter in Matthew, look and see. It'll have, if you have a, if you have a, a, a Thompson Chain Bible, it'll have right in the margin where it's mentioned in the other Gospels. If it doesn't show where it's mentioned in the other Gospels, then it's it's not there. You may have something mentioned in Matthew and Luke that's not mentioned in Mark and John. Anyway, you've got to look at all the kings to see God prophesying this happening. And it's going to happen all the way until they come back from the captivity. You'll see scatter all through the Old Testament. You'll see remove. And what removes Israel is these is these Assyrian kings and the Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar, removes them. And then, of course, Babylon is overthrown by Persia. And Persia has to do with sending Israel back to, to rebuild their temple, their temple and their city. And you'll find those happenings, you'll find that happening to rebuild the temple in Ezra, Ezra the first chapter, Ezra the sixth chapter, and the, and the seventh chapter, and then you'll have in Nehemiah the second chapter to rebuild the to rebuild the city. These first three, one, six, and seven, is to rebuild the temple. Rebuild the temple. And of course, needless to say, only about 45,000 Jews come back from the captivity in these first decrees. There's millions of them that are carried into Babylon. Why won't they come back? They love Babylon. They're set free. They buy houses. They start doing everything they can. They don't want to go back to a wasteland. And that's after Nebuchadnezzar got through scattering southern Judah. They leveled the city, pulled all the stones down to the temple, all the stones down to the city, and they plowed it up. That's what they would do. Sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. And people say, look at the great city, Jerusalem, what God did to it through these evil kings. So the whole thing about the end of time 
It's what God measures out. And you got a you got a a prophet that comes along here. And his name is Daniel. And southern Judah. Southern Judah had three deportations. To deport from somebody is to remove them forcibly. That's what a deport is. Import is when you bring something in to sell it. But they had three deportations. 605 was peaceful. 597. Not really sure whether it's 97, 96 B.C. was a peaceful deportation. And Israel did not fulfill their promises to Nebuchadnezzar to pay their duties that they had to pay, their tariffs. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I'll come in in 586, and this is a bloody deportation. He slaughters Israel, leaves millions of them dead, and takes millions over here to Babylon. And when you read that, when you read Lamentations, when you lament lament something, Lamentations, that's Jeremiah's Lamentations. He is lamenting in the book of Lamentations of what Nebuchadnezzar did here, how he slaughtered Israel. That's one of the saddest books in the Bible. That'll tell you how he felt. He was so depressed. And they slaughtered him, carried him away naked. Naked meant they would have nothing but a loincloth on, and their hands were behind them. They walked 650 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. And when they got there, they didn't have a place to sit down. If they could find a rock to sit on, that was more than they expected. And that was a very sad place. And and Lamentations will tell you how they boiled their children and they ate them in the siege because Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't feed them. So they were starving to death and their children were dying and they would boil them and eat them. Not going to go into that right now. Now, the end of time is about when Israel will be brought back into one nation. And you're going to find that in Ezekiel, the 37th chapter with the story of the dry bones. And you're going to find it in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, where God heals the breach between Judah and Ephraim. Ephraim always means northern Israel after he's dead. When you read Hosea and Hosea is condemning Ephraim all through the book, he's talking about northern Israel for all that corruption that they brought in and it bled down into southern Judah when Ahab is running around with Jehoshaphat and Jehoram meets Athaliah and she comes down to southern Judah and wants to kill everybody. What she did is she killed all the seed royal in Judah. She thought. And she got them all but one. Joash. And Joash was hidden away by the high priest. And at the when he grew up, he brings Joash out and says, God save King Joash. He announced Joash is the king of Israel. And, and Athaliah said, Treason! 
and, and that's like Mahatma. That's like uh, that's like one of those women that worked for the Nazis. Uh, what was her name? Tokyo Rose. She would announce for the Nazis, and like the woman that was. And it's like them calling treason. Athaliah was crazy. She tried to take over the kingdom. Now, here's the point. Daniel comes up, and he's praying to God. And Daniel, the ninth chapter, he's in captivity over in Babylon. And he's crying out to God, God, when are we going to be over this captivity? And the angel Gabriel comes to comes to Daniel about the time of the evening oblation. That was the time when they offered. Let's go over to Daniel seven. This is what we're talking about. At the end of the seventy weeks of Daniel, that will be. I've given you the story. This is the basic story of Israel. I've spent. I started studying the 70 weeks of Daniel about 1964. I've been intense on the prophecy all of my life. I started looking at prophecy in about 1961 when I started preaching. Now, let's look at the 70 weeks. This is all because of what Israel did when they were a nation, particularly under judges and kings. Remember, they didn't do much under First and Second Samuel. There was just a battle going on for the throne between Saul and David. But God appointed David king. Saul, think, Saul thinks David appointed himself king. Samuel is the one that Samuel the prophet of God anointed David as the king in the 16th chapter when he walked in and God said that's him anoint him and God rejected Saul because of all of his wickedness from the 11th to the 15th chapter just read those chapters Saul never did behave himself until he got old and God said you're going to die when you're in this last battle in the 31st chapter of Second Samuel, or First Samuel. Now look here in the in the Daniel, and it's going to take the entire seventy weeks. I've already said this. How much time to have, Mike? Thirty-eight. Huh? Thirty-eight. All right. I don't know how far I can get with this. Daniel is over in Babylon. We've said that. He was carried away in this second deportation around 597. It was a peaceful deportation. Him and Ezekiel were carried away just about the same time. Possible one of them was carried away in 605 and the other in 597. Regardless, they were both peaceful deporting. That's where Nebuchadnezzar would send his men in, send his soldiers in. In fact, Samuel, uh, Jeremiah, everybody had a prophet that was prophesied to him. The one that prophesied to Ahab, 
was Elijah. The guy that was prophesying to Ahab's son over here who took over for him, Ahaziah and Jehoram, notice, notice something here. Ahab had a son named Ahaziah. He had a son named Jehoram. Notice that Jehoshaphat, who ran around with Ahab, had a son named Jehoram and a grandson named Ahaziah. The same thing is over here. When you're running around with somebody and you like them, you have a tendency to name your kids after them. And that's what Jehoram or Ahab did. One of them had a kid first, and the other one had a kid, and they began to name their kids and their grandsons after them. So, not only does Ahaziah and Jehoram get ideas from Ahab, but Ahaziah and Jehoram over here get ideas from Jehoshaphat that he's running around with the wrong man. Even though Jehoshaphat is a righteous man. Jehoshaphat was a good man. I'm anxious to talk to him in heaven and say, what were you thinking running around with Ahab? The guy was a killer. He'd probably say, I was thinking the same things that you were thinking of when you run around with the wrong people when you were about 25 and 30, Mr. Brown. Because <laughs> I did the same thing. And it resulted a lot in the same things. Now, when you go here in chapter 9, I read it last week, verse 2. In the first year of the reign, of his reign, speaking of Darius in the first verse, Darius began to reign in 522. Darius. And Darius really liked Daniel. He began to reign in 522 B.C. And in the in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, that's 522 B.C., I, Daniel, understood by books. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. The number of the years whereof the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. I told you this last time I taught. The Jews had sabbatical years. Years. They had to, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Every seven years was a sabbatical year. You can find this in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. He'll tell you all about it. Every seven years they had to leave the land alone, let it lie fallow. That means don't plow, don't reap, don't plant nothing. What was that for? It's the same thing that we call crop rotation. You cannot plant the same crops. If you live out in the Midwest and you own a thousand acres and some of those farmers own that out there 
You cannot plant the same crop every year in the same land. If you have a certain crop you plant here, you can't plant it the following year. You got to leave it alone. Only a farm agent can tell you what you need to put in there for fertilizer. So they could not. And I, I read, I looked at the Dust Bowl on the internet. I even saw a, a, a documentary on it. That was in the late 20s and the early 30s where they had the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma, Nebraska. It was it ran for hundreds of miles and it would be several miles high, 20, 30 miles wide and it was rampaging across Oklahoma. When you see any of those old movies like The Grapes of Wrath, that's where the people are headed west to try to become fruit pickers in California because they couldn't do nothing in Oklahoma. And they say that was because the farmers didn't know anything about rotating the crops. They didn't know how to plant them. They were just old country redneck guys out there planting everything until it dried all the land up and started blowing these storms. And they found a lot of people dead in their cars because they couldn't breathe. People died by the I don't know how many thousands, I guess. It was the worst disaster to happen in the history of America. And it actually moved into Illinois, moved into sections of towards Washington, D.C., up in New York. It was a just look up Dust Bowl on the Internet, and it'll tell you all about it. They didn't know how to plant. They didn't know how to reap. To be a farmer, you've, it's a scientific thing to do. You can't just become one and start planting. Well, Israel had to leave the land alone, couldn't plant. God's not going to tell them about it. you have to rotate crops. He just said, do what I say. Can you imagine them going for 470 years with not letting the land lie fallow every seven years? This is the very reason they went after the other gods. We got other gods that'll let us do what we want. So here's what God says. That 70, and I already read it to you over in Jeremiah. I'll read it again. Look at Jeremiah. This all goes back to God's promise to this one family line. One family. You go back to Jeremiah. And this is what Daniel's reading. Jeremiah was the last prophet to walk through the land. Let's just say, let's just say, here's here's 626 B.C. And then when Israel is carried away, that's 586 B.C. So for 40 years, 40 years, Jeremiah... It's the last prophet walking through the land and said, Repent, Israel, of your sin. Repent of your gods. And they're saying, Jeremiah's crazy. And they go to King Zedekiah and say, Can we kill this guy? He is making us all nervous. And King Zedekiah was the biggest sissy king that Israel ever had. Pansy. He said, Well, you can hang him in the mire. And they say the mire was human waste and urine. So they hung him in the mire. 
And then as the thunderous sounds of Nebuchadnezzar's armies were on their way, Zedekiah said, call Jeremiah in here. I got to ask him something. They pull him out of the stinking mire, take him before Zedekiah and say, Zedekiah, have you heard a word of the Lord about Nebuchadnezzar, pansy king as he is? And Jeremiah said, yes, judgment's coming. And he said, you can hang him back in the mire now. What an idiot Zedekiah was. I don't know if he's going to heaven. If he is, I'd like to go and kick him in the shin. (laughs) Say, you idiot, you knucklehead. Anyway, so over here in Jeremiah, it says he was reading the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached for till 586 B.C. And Daniel was already in Babylon. He was already over in Babylon. He was carried away somewhere around 597. So Daniel is crying unto the Lord. And he's reading Jeremiah's words here in Jeremiah. Let me get back here. Jeremiah 25. This is what he's reading. Jeremiah 25. I wish I had time to go through this, through all these chapters. Jeremiah 25, verse 12. Well, let's read 11. And this whole land of Israel shall be a desolation when Nebuchadnezzar gets through with it. And an astonishment, these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. One year for every year they never kept Sabbath year. So God says, I'm going to make the land lay desolate for 70 years till it restores its nutrients. If you don't come back after the 70 years, I'm going to measure out the full 70 times 7 that I gave you to repent. And he's going to measure out the 40, 40, excuse me, the 70, 70 years, and they had, they had uh, 70 sets of these seven years. That's 490 years that they had. And God says, if you don't repent under the 70 years you're in Babylon, I'll call you back, but they didn't want to come back. You can read that in the second chapter of Ezra. Only about 45, a little over 45,000 came back from the captivity. And they were all over Babylon. Let me take you a picture of it. All right. They were all over Babylon. I'm trying to give you a full story of this. should have gone the other way they were over here they were over here here's Israel here's Babylon over here they couldn't come through the desert so they had to go up this way and come in from the north and it was about 650 miles so Daniel is over here in what you call Iraq Babylon is right there on the Euphrates River 
That's where he is. And he's pleading with God, how long are we going to be in this captivity? And God tells him to the angel Gabriel. So he's reading this, verse 12 of chapter 25 of Jeremiah, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. But it's not going to be Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be somebody else. And that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity. And the land of the Chaldeans, which is another name for Babylon, and will make it a perpetual desolation. Then, then he was reading over here in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years till 586. Daniel's already over there. And Daniel is weary. Wanting to know how long we got to stay here. Look at the 29th chapter of, of Jeremiah. You got to read this whole chapter because he says all through here, go to Babylon. Was Nebuchadnezzar doing the right thing? Yes. Why? They were not only sinning against God, they were sinning against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was their keeper. He was ruler of the entire civilized world at that time. And he required tribute money. Tribute money would be the same thing that we call taxes. It takes that, tribute money, takes that to rebuild their roads, to fix everything, to defend them, to raise up an army against their enemies. And they wouldn't even pay him money. So God had every reason to call Nebuchadnezzar in. And Nebuchadnezzar had every reason to come in and carry him away. So they were not only trespassing against God, they were trespassing against the ruler of the world. And everybody had to pay tribute money. Tribute money wasn't anything but the same thing as taxes to pay all their necessary needs. And over here in... So he's telling them in the 29th chapter, go to Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, have children, you're going to be there 70 years. And he says that in the 29th chapter. Verse 8, 29. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your dividers, those guys got you in trouble by telling you go after Bell in the grove. Don't let your prophets tell you anything. That be in the midst of you, deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you have caused to be dreamed. Talks all about that in the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Was God forsaking Israel? No. What was he doing? He put them over here in Babylon so they could leave the land alone till it could restore its nutrients and they could go back and rebuild. He never did believe his. He said, I didn't put you in Babylon to forsake you. He said, I visit your transgression with the rod, but it wouldn't have forsake you. He said, I'll never forget forsake my, rent, my, my promise or my covenant to you. 
Now we go to that. Everything we said today has to do with the 70 weeks of Daniel. Go to Daniel, the ninth chapter. All through this ninth chapter, Daniel is crying unto God, saying, Lord, we have sinned. He even included himself in that, just like Ezra did in the ninth chapter. Ezra said, we. He said, we have sinned. He included himself in it. He said, how long do we have to be here? And this is what's going to take us to the end of time. Now let's go to the end of this chapter. Not to the end, but to the middle of it. And he says in verse 21, it may take me into next week, it will take me into next week to go through this. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, Gabriel is always the announcing angel. He comes to Daniel and tells him how long you're going to be here. Gabriel was the one that came to Mary and said that which conceived in thee is of the Holy Ghost. It's of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel was God's announcing angel. Michael was God's avenging angel. When Michael comes, you don't want him to talk to you. He killed 189,000 Assyrians in one night by himself. That's better than karate. Alone. Michael did that. But the funny thing in the book of Jude, Michael says, I will not say to Satan, I rebuke you. I'll say the Lord rebuke you because Satan was so tricky that Michael did not even want to deal with him. Ooh, that's bad news. When you kill 185,000 men and you don't want to fool with Satan, you say, God rebuke you. I'm not talking to you. You're too tricky. Then look at verse 21, chapter 9. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. You don't know what an oblation is? That's a bread offering. Every evening, about sundown, about sundown, about sundown, they would, at the temple, they had here at the brazen altar, and they had the brazen sea here, the veil, the Ark of the Covenant, the seven candlesticks, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. Every evening, they would offer a lamb just about sundown or somewhere around 6 o'clock, and they would offer an oblation, a bread offering with it. And that's at the evening around 6, and every morning about 6, or sunup or sundown. So that's the oblation. It's about the time of the evening oblation, and Daniel has, Daniel has cried to God all through this chapter, How long are we going to be here, God? We're under persecution of these Babylonians. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, 
and touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and Gabriel informed me. He's you got to read the whole chapter. Daniel is crying out to God, How long? And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding about how long you're going to be in this captivity. At the beginning of the supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, Daniel, how long you're going to be here. For thou art greatly beloved. Boy, what... Wouldn't you like for Gabriel to say that to you? Well, I think that would be fantastic for the angel of God's announcement to say, you're greatly beloved, Jim Brown. Thank you so much. I'm willing to die now. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Here it is. Here's the time. But the only thing is, this is not going to be near. This is going to be... It'll tell you exactly when. Seventy weeks are determined, and that will come to the end of time. That goes along with Luke twenty-one twenty-four, when the Bible says, They, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden down to the Gentiles. Jerusalem is in southern Judah. This is Jerusalem right here. If you'll notice... Jerusalem is in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin Judah was the southern kingdom. And Jerusalem's in Benjamin. That's why it was probably necessary for God to include Saul in this southern kingdom because Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom, in Benjamin. Now, here's how long it's going to take to get you out of this. You're not going to like what I'm going to say, Daniel, because you'll be long dead when it comes about. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem. Seventy. doesn't say weeks. It says seventy-sevens. Let me erase some of this. It says seventy Shabua, S-H-A-B-U-A. Let me erase this. He said 70 sevens. Shabua, S-H-A-B-U-A. Shabua is the word sevens. Seventy sevens. Because you went for 70 sets of these sabbatical years, 70 times 7. Sabbatical years where you never kept the sabbatical year. I said it last week. I know what you could do when you overplant a garden too many times. Mary and I put a little garden in over on Irvin years ago. And for about 10 years, we were planting tomatoes. And the last ones we planted, we went and got these gigantic tomatoes these big ones, they ended up being like these little bitty tiny tomatoes. All the nutrients are out of the ground. You can't plant like that. You cannot reap God's harvest unless you do it His way. And that's what all this is about. 
It's about these 70 times 7. And he tells you that. Let me give this to you. Do I have any time, Mike? 13. Huh? 13. I may go over this again because I can't cover it completely. I'll just give it to you as quick as I can. Okay, 490, 490 years. We know it's years because they did not keep it. You're going to find these 70 years in the book of Zechariah. You're going to find them over in Zechariah, the ninth chapter. Let me see if I can go ahead and do that. Zechariah 9. And he says here in Zechariah, No, excuse me, Zechariah 7. Zechariah 7, verse verse 4 and 5. Then come, then came the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of Israel, speak unto all the people of the land of Israel, and to the priests, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even these seventy years did ye all fast unto me, even to me. And he says it again over here in Zechariah, the first chapter. Zechariah, the first chapter. These angels are coming to Zechariah. This is around 520 B.C. Zechariah has been in the captivity. And he says here in verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord, of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? We've been in this captivity. He's crying for the same thing that that Daniel's crying out for. And on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation, indignation these three score and ten years. A score is twenty. Three score is sixty. Plus ten is seventy. Now let's go back to. Let's go back to Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon this people to do six things. Six. To finish the transgression. Finish the transgression. Transgression is the Hebrew word kalah. You've transgressed against God. This 70 weeks of Daniel is the very bridge between the Old and New Testament. Mr. Mr. Alvin McLean says that in his book, The 70 Weeks, right here. This is a very good book, Alvin McLean, Daniel's Prophecy of the 70 Weeks. And then this is another really good book, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold Honer. And Mr. Honer was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Great books. I've even got some here. Now, there's six things that God has to do. Let's read it. To finish the transgression, Kalal, that transgression means to hold back or prohibit 
or forbid you from transgressing against God. At the 70 weeks, which will be at the end of time, Israel will be, not be able to go to other gods. You say, I don't go to other gods. Are you sure? Idolatry. E-I-D-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. That's the word idolatry. It comes from ido and latruo. It comes from latruo, meaning to serve. And ido means to see. It means to serve what you see, what you put into your eyes and your ears. Watch out what you listen to and what you look at. And you say, looking at something don't bother me. Don't tell me what men think when they see some slinky woman down in the grocery store and she looks fantastic and she's sticking out all over. Don't tell me what men think. I know. I'm a man. I want to go up to women that do that and say, don't you know what you're doing? You're causing every man in this store to lust after you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Even me, because it bothers me. No man can tell me what man thinks. I'm a man, or one, I know. It makes me mad to see women dress like that. I saw a woman that was, I talked, I've said this several times. The woman was drop-dead gorgeous walking through Publix grocery store. And her skirt was up to here. She was about 5'7 or 5'8. And she looked great. And her she had a plunging neckline. You could see everything she had. And I want to go and say, Hey, girl, do you know what you're doing in here? You're bothering all the men in here. You should be ashamed. Go home and put on some other clothes. She had a beautiful face, a beautiful body. Don't tell me what men think about that. I have to turn my head away. I have to force myself to do that. I'm sorry, but that's how men are made. You know, but a man can't. He needs to repent of it and apologize for it. And it's like pulling his head away from something like that. It's like. Oh, it's an effort. And that's very, very wicked. It's like I heard one preacher say, he said, I walked through this checkout counter and I saw this naked woman on the front of this this, this magazine. He said, that offends me. He shouldn't say that. What he should have done is say, can I turn that around? I like that too much. Turn it around. Say, I can't handle that. And whether people like it or not, that's how men are made. That's why there's so much. That's why they put naked women on all these car dealerships to advertise. So you go down and maybe you can find that woman. And you can't. But he said, I've got to do six things before this captivity will stop. And we know the captivity of Israel stopped May 14th, 1948. They were, have been in captivity for 2,600 years. And the Bible says this is a sign of the end of time. 2,600 years. 
Daniel, Daniel was crying out about that somewhere around 586, 88 B.C. He's crying out about it then. And it was from 2,600 years, from 586 B.C. until they ceased to, till they ceased to be in captivity in May 14th, 1948. And when you look at Luke 21, 24, it says the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword and Jerusalem will be trampled under the feet of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And that happens in, in June 5th through 10th, 1967. That's the first time Israel got their city back since 586 B.C. That's where they threw the Jordanians out. That has to do with the end of time. And then he goes on to finish this. He says, I want to finish their transgression to make an end of Israel's sins to make reconciliation for iniquity. Reconciliation is the word kafar. That's the same word in the Hebrew as atonement. I will not atone for them until I cause them to repent at the end of all things. That's what the end of time is about. It's about God stopping Israel's sin. It's not to include the church, which is spiritual Israel. He says to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy. Seal up is the word katham. It means to stop all the prophecy from happening. It's going to finish happening by the end of all of this. And that's where we are. I believe we're close to the end of time. Now I'm going to come back with the 70 weeks and show you where it starts. It starts in Nehemiah, the second chapter. That's the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, Christ. I'm going to come back. Am I out of time, Mike? Two and a half. Two and a half minutes. I can't go anywhere with that. Two and a half minutes. I'm, I'm going to come back and go through these 70 weeks. You're going to find when they start, when they end, but they're split into two parts. They're split into 69 weeks, which is three score and two weeks. Those score is 60 and two weeks. It's seven weeks, three score and two weeks. A score is 60. A score is 20, 3 score is 60, plus 7, plus 2 is 69 of those weeks will be fulfilled from the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, Nehemiah the second chapter, until Messiah the Prince, Jesus, comes into Jerusalem to be anointed as the King of Israel, and they take Him and crucify Him as the Passover Lamb. And then... You got the times of the Gentiles. Times of Gentiles. 
the Gentile church from Acts the second chapter until the end of time. I believe that'll be right at two thousand years. That's I could keep going on this, but I don't need to. I want to come back and go through this very slow through the seventy weeks and how it starts and how it ends. The seventy weeks of Daniel is about everything that Israel went to. The promise to Abraham and his lineage comes from Adam all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And them going into the land. God saying, don't go after other gods. And they do. Then God scattering them. And then God bringing them back. And that goes along with all the rest of these things that's going on in the world today. All the wars and rumors of wars. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for the desire to study these things for the last 60 years. Thank you for opening up to us. I pray you strengthen the flock here and have the people understand what this is about, that this is very serious. We're close to the end of all things. Thank you for truth. Thank you for letting us see it. It's very sad. It makes us, just like Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we'll give you praise for all things in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that's you getting a hold of that picture.